Attention radio listeners. Oh, Thomas, get out of town. Wow. Let me have your attention for a moment. Goodness, is that a message? Oh, mommy, please get me out of this game. You aren't paying any attention. Interesting move here, Bill. Jays came into the basketball game. Jim Beheim has inserted Jays into the game. Big guy inside. Maybe to help eliminate that second or third shot. Well, people in Central New York playing at uh, Roosevelt Bowie. It's the best center Syracuse University has ever had. Your attention, please. This is Centers of Attention. And good morning, everybody. It is Thursday, February 6, 2020. The national crisis is over. We are back on the radio. No, there were a lot of concerns. Why were we preempted yesterday? And was this the way radio ends? That's what people were thinking. Nope, we're back. <laughs> I'm Seth Everett. He is Danny Shades. So, Danny, how'd you enjoy the morning? Did you sleep in? It was very nice. I uh, got my Iowa caucus app fixed so I could uh, <laughs> find out who finally won and get us back on the air. Because, you know, when your app doesn't work, very tough to be on the air. Ah, yes, the app. <laughs> Actually, it did, it did throw my day off, I have to admit, because you know, I was getting close to game time, as we call it, you yep. know, getting myself all right. I went, oh, my God, it's when- I, am I sure it's Wednesday? Wait, I, I don't want to be driving my kid to school and having my phone ring. And, uh, so I had to do like that three, four times going, yes, it's okay. It's definitely Wednesday. Okay, phew. <laughs> well, uh, we're back, and we're, we're glad we're back. Uh, we didn't have a Syracuse game to uh, to recap or preview. We didn't miss anything. There wasn't any midweek game this week. Uh, kind of a quirk in the schedule, and the Syracuse takes on Wake on Saturday. Should we plug our guest now? Absolutely. Do it, baby. Absolutely. You, you, this is all you, so but, but promote it. Because when he doesn't call in, I want it all on you. Okay, there you go. Well, as luck would have it, the uh, the head coach of the Wake Forest Demon Deacons, Danny Manning, is a former teammate of mine with the Suns. Right. So uh, he's going to uh, be scheduled to join us tomorrow at ten thirty. So uh, to talk about his time uh, uh, back in you know in the ACC after, of course, a Player of the Year for Kansas, and then a long NBA career, former number one pick, number and, one uh, overall. One of, right? He was the number, number one, one overall, overall pick. pick. Yeah. Yep. And Very cool. uh, so fantastic, uh, you know, great guy, great player, uh, actually kind of ahead of his time player. Uh, he's a today's game player back in the old days. So it was, uh, uh, you know, great, you know, great teammate. And uh, actually he cost me an NBA championship, but I'll let him off the hook uh, because it, uh, he did tear his ACL. So that, that, uh, you oh, know, I can't really so You guys would have won. That. Right. We right. had the, the best record in the league. We were steamrolling. He got hurt his knee. Uh, and uh, he was like that guy who just made everybody better, uh, you know, on top of being a great player himself. And, uh, you know, and like I said, terrific guy, too. Did did all kinds of stuff for the community nobody even knew about. Uh, you know, just all-around great guy, Danny Manning. So he's going to be joining us here uh, tomorrow, uh, 1030. And, Should be very uh, cool. After, after their team breakfast, so we'll get to catch up with him, see what it's like, you know, trying to turn that program around and uh, elevate it up the, through the ranks here in the ACC is – as uh, you know, as this this season, and a lot of schools trying to do that. So, so they're they're playing pretty well. Well, this is this is where I I wondered, and I thought we could get some fan interaction, whether it's on the Twitch message board or on Twitter at uh, ESPN Syracuse or at Seth underscore Everett. Um, what would you want to hear Danny Manning talk about? Now we have two major choices. 
the obvious choice and the you know what pedestrian radio shows would do is just preview the Wake Syracuse game because you think about it, you know that that that's why he's the head coach of Wake Forest. That's Syracuse's next opponent. Right. So breaking that down would be the key. But if we only have him for let's say on a perfect scenario, he calls in on time. He's he's on for 11 minutes. Let's just say the longest he can go is 11 minutes. Wouldn't you want seven of those minutes just stories about playing with Danny? Absolutely. I mean, look, look, everyone's going to be breaking down the game. He's going to be interviewed 20 times talking about what adjustments and how do you stop Buddy Beheim and how do you stop Buddy Beheim? You know, so uh, so I think that what was Danny uh, Shays like on the road? Uh, Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Don't so, you want to know about all the strip clubs we went to, and all the weed we smoked, <laughs> and all the uh, you know all the stewardesses we hung out with? Don't you want to hear those stories? Uh, we didn't do any. We didn't do any of that. Just so you know, don't be writing in. Uh, we didn't do any of that. That's offensive. You can't go to that. Uh, I, I I I despise strip clubs. We can have that conversation another time, not in the open. I think they're disgusting, and it's not a moral thing. I don't understand them in the slightest. So anyway, we uh, will continue. Um, over the 48 hours that we haven't been on the air, there was a blockbuster trade, or reportedly a blockbuster trade. There have been 712 media articles written about this trade, but it's not official yet because of... One of the prospects is getting a medical exam, and he had undergone surgery, and they want to make sure his shoulder's okay, and uh, it could hold up the deal. But the Boston Red Sox, and there's a lot of Boston Red Sox fans up in here in central New York, the Boston Red Sox tra- are sending Mookie Betts, their superstar, their former MVP, as well as starter David Price, who is a great pitcher who had maybe two good weeks <laughs> when he was with the, with the Red Sox. Um, to the Dodgers in a three-way deal, and it's prospect-related, and it saves the Red Sox a lot of money. And the reason I brought it up, and the reason, you know, I, I, I'm not going to sit here and talk about whether the Red Sox could assign Mookie Betts because he didn't want to sign. And I'll just tell you real quick, when Nolan Arenado and Mike Trout all signed long-term deals because they're afraid that the new collective bargaining agreement is going to hurt free agency, so they wanted to get locked in. Mookie Betts said, screw that. I want to be a free agent. And he, when you become a free agent in baseball, you go to the highest bidder. doesn't right. matter what team you like. If you are the top free agent and four teams bid, it's whatever team wins the eBay auction. That's how it works. And I, this theory that the Red Sox could re-sign him, sure, they could re-sign him. But what the Red Sox told you, is that they don't think they're good enough to win the American League East. And here's the rub. You, there are five teams in baseball that want to tell your fan base every year that you can win. They, you want to tell them you can win every year. And the Red Sox just told you, we don't think we can win. And that's awkward. That's a shame. And that's why all the Red Sox fans are as disenchanted as they are. It's not that losing Mookie Betts is the end of the world. It's that the one thing you never want to hear in Boston in the last 20 years is we did a cost-cutting move. Right. You don't want to, you don't want to do that. And so my, my point on the whole thing is 
it's a prudent trade. It makes sense for all the teams involved, but I understand why a Red Sox fan is ticked off, and I don't blame him. Well, what's so interesting about the trade, again, when you talk about free agents going to the highest bidder, there's only three bidders, right, or four bidders every year. Same four bidders. You got the Dodgers, you got the Yankees, you got the you know, maybe the Angels, maybe, you know, uh, you know, another big market team. And it's the same, you know, it's the same cast of characters uh, bidding for the top free agents. So the fact that he ended up at the Dodgers, no surprise, uh, Dodgers with their multi-billion dollar TV deal. Uh, Yankees with their multi-billion dollar TV deal have unlimited pocketbooks and, uh, you know, cost is no object to them. So, uh, but then you look at a team like Boston, which, uh, right. you know, you're right now that they're, you know, have got a taste of, of, of what winning championships is like. Yeah. They want, they, they want to be the Celtics. They want to win every year. They want dynasties. They want, right. you know, those kind of things. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's discouraging. You know, we talked about this with baseball unique unique in sports because their regular season is so long playoffs proportionally are so short compared to you know Mm -hmm. some of the other sports that have four seven game series is to win you know that kind of thing uh you know the seventh season gets long if you're not in it and a lot of teams know they're not in it you know 30 games in now you're what you're saying is yeah Mm -hmm. now the red sox are saying they're not in it and they haven't even had spring training yet it's it's uh, it's a weird thing and it's very weird for the red sox to, to to believe that because the red sox fan you know it's been, oh, it's been 16 years since the Red Sox broke the curse, right? right? And I always say the run began in 03. You know, that's the Aaron Boone series, you know, when, when they lost in Game 7 to the Yankees. But they were a really good team there. Right. I mean, they, 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 that's, a, that's a really good team. So, you know, 17, 18 years of the Red Sox being dominant. And that's a generation. Because if you were 6 and 7 years old... You only know the Red Sox as winners, right? You know, it's a, it's a it's a it's a weird thing because yeah, so if you're if you're uh, you know, under years. thirty, yeah, if you're under thirty or thirty five, you don't remember the Red Sox not being right. The Red you're Sox. like you're like curse. What what curse? Bambino? Who the heck's that? Like it it, it it's over, and it's so it's such a weird you know idea because growing up you know covering sports, it was the Red Sox were always this cursed franchise, and now they always are the lucky ones. And, you know, their ballpark, I'm not a fan of their ballpark. Um, I think it's 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 not just that it's antiquated, because I love Wrigley Field. I don't like I don't like that there's certain subtle things wrong with the place and they do it <laughs> I'll I'll give you an example. They spent like millions of dollars putting seats over the green monster. Right. And they didn't fill the cracks in the pavement in the concourse. Like it's cement. In the concourse, if you walk down the first baseline or the third baseline, it's cement, and there's massive cracks in it. And then if you look directly up while you're walking in that, and not tripping on the cracks in the pavement, if you look right up, there's exposed cables all the time. And I'm just thinking, like, couldn't you get an electrician to come (laughs) cover that stuff? Like, I, I just never understood how just because the place is old doesn't mean it has to look decrepit. Right. You know, like, I don't but think what that's I do charming. like about it, you know, it obviously it has its cool things, uh, you know, if you've been in the park. What I do like about it, same thing I like about Wrigley Field and some of the other ones, it's like right there. Like you walk across the street and there it is. You know, it's like right in the middle of the street. And it's not like Dodger Stadium where you have to drive and go to this thing and then you're, you park up on the hill and, 
you know, it's a kind of a schlep to get there back and forth. I mean, it's you know, same with Wrigley. You get on the train, you go there, boom, it's right there in the middle of, you know, right in the middle of town. And it's, uh, uh, you know, there's a pizza place right across the street and there's, you know, all these things that's you know, kind of right there. It's in the middle of the neighborhood. And, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's compact. So uh, like the old guard, Boston Garden used to be, you, you know, pick those, uh, you know, whatever the attendance is. And it, you know, Did you like that right building? Uh, the Boston Garden. Did you like it? Was it was it a comfortable place to play? Boston Garden, absolute pit. It's a pit, uh, right? Yeah, that's what everything I about it was horrible. But it was the Boston Garden. Yep. And uh, you know, so you know, it had a kind of a, a special charm to it. As long as you didn't have the seat behind the pole, or you didn't need to take a shower, because I mean, the locker rooms were don't uh, take were, were kind of a joke. Yeah. And yeah, uh, they, they try to tell you not to take showers. Well, here was the fun. <laughs> the funny part about the Boston Garden is, you know, it was originally built obviously for hockey. And um, so it's got this giant hockey scoreboard, and it had the old-timey scoreboard where it had the physical clocks yep, for the yep, penalties, yep. I remember. you know, with the hands. And uh, big, giant scoreboard. Uh, I played in it, you know, for, what, I don't know, 15 years before they built the new one. And it took me like 14 of those years to realize that the clock wasn't over midcourt. It was over center ice, which was offset. And where the visitor's bench was, when you looked up to, the, you know, to read the clock... It was over, you know, over there. So you know, seemed to be in the right place. And then one time I'm taking a foul shot at the other end. And I mean, really, like 13 years later, and I look up to the score, and the scoreboard's right above me. I'm like, I never knew it was way over here because from the bench, it <laughs> kind of looked like it was kind of where it was supposed to be. And it took me that long to figure out the, the clock actually was hanging over the foul line on one end, not over midcourt, which was which is kind of odd. Nice. I guess I wasn't observant, you know, very observant back then, but. Uh, uh, <laughs> But it always had a, it was always fun. It was the weird part about it is I still don't I never knew what the building looked like because there was no like outside. It was wedged between a bank on one side, the highway, yeah, and yeah. you know a couple of the buildings. So if you ever saw you know like when they did the game, you know the national TV games and they showed the stadium, they showed it from the highway side, which nobody ever saw because that's the only side that had a wall. The rest of it was tucked between mm. other stuff. And we used to go in the bank next door, go up to the seventh floor, walk across like some bridgeway to get into the stadium. I mean, it was it was incredibly odd. Uh, but it's the Boston Garden, you know, it was uh, you know, had its yeah. own had its own coolness to it, even though, like I said, it was the worst, worst arena ever. Cool. And, uh, you know, I know a lot of people around this area don't care about the Dodgers too much, but I don't think Dodgers and you made the point just before. I don't think the Dodgers are a sure thing. Like in other sports, let's compare again. You want to compare baseball to the NBA. When the Toronto Raptors got Kawhi Leonard, the literal thought was, "Who in the East is going to challenge them?" Team to beat, right now. Right, right. they they became the favorite. Some over the top, right? But the Dodgers. Let's say, for the sake of the argument, the Dodgers are the best team in the um, in in the National League. They still have a three out of five game series to win. And three out of five game series, the best team doesn't always win. Right. And I think Especially it's great. baseball where one play can turn the whole thing around, you know, can. Uh... Hey, right. So, so they're in this weird position where you could win 120 games. You still have to win a best of five. And that's three out of five. And all it gets you is one extra home game. And it doesn't do enough. And I always say that and then the seven-game series, those are the great equalizers. So nothing's a sure thing. And I'll say this to Yankee fans. I'll say it to Dodger fans. I'll say it to any fan of any team. Nothing is a guarantee. And the regular season is really, really the hardest in sports. 
It still is, even with the lack of competitiveness that you're seeing now, because the problem now is that you play so many of these garbage teams. You know, if you play the Orioles 19 times, I would I challenge any any Yankee fan sit through three hours of a Yankee Oriole game. It's it that it's like a root canal. <laughs> it's, it's, well, the, it's, the one thing about baseball that that is tough to watch for me is that the schedule is so loaded in your division. And it seems like you play like half your games against the four teams in your division. And uh, you don't, you know, you don't necessarily see the whole league or compete against the whole league very much. And I'm not even talking about National League, American League with the crossover games. Uh, just like I said, just the, the schedule is so loaded into your division that, uh, uh, you know, if you have whether, you know, pick your side, either you got a lightweight division or you got a tough one, uh, you know, it really skews how your season goes. And, uh, you know, you're out here, well, again, out here in the West watching the Dodgers. And you're like, oh, uh, Diamondbacks again, Rockies again, Padres again. You know, it's like the same Giants, same games week after week after week. They're just rotating among those, you know, those four teams, five teams, it seems like. So, uh, you know, I like to, I, you know, the NBA does mix it up that way. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, the uh, Syracuse Orange have their defensive coordinator, and he's exactly going to run the same defense that the original guy was going to make. Uh, I don't know what's the difference. I don't know if I like this guy better. Nate Mink covers the Orange, and he's a regular on our show. He's going to join us in about 13 minutes from now. I'm Seth. He is Danny. We're just getting warmed up. It's like riding a bike. We remember how to do this. This is ESPN Syracuse and Q Sports Talk on Twitch. On Twitch, Q Sports Talk. And on the radio, ESPN 97.7 and 100.1. This is Centers of Attention. All right, back here on ESPN Syracuse and Q Sports Talk on Twitch. Seth Everett, Danny Shays, Centers of Attention. Glad you're with us this morning. So Tuesday night, we didn't have a show Wednesday, and I had to tell you this, and I it was late, and I was going to call you because this is not a thing I could text. It's a story, and it's a crazy story. So Tuesday night, I was in New York City at the Thurman Munson dinner. Oh, and it's the 40th anniversary of the Thurman Munson Awards Dinner. And in honor of Thurman Munson, who tra- was the captain of the Yankees, who tragically uh, died in a plane crash in 1979. See where the parallels exist. And at the dais being honored was Gliber Torres of the Yankees, Jeff McNeil of the Mets, John Franco of the Mets, you know, long-time Met, Met sure. relief pitcher. And Lou Pinella, who was ah, a player for the Yankees, Lou. a teammate of the Yankees, uh, of Thurman's, a manager of the Yankees, and then he managed other teams, including the Seattle Mariners when I was in Seattle. So, and, and, and the Hall of Fame player and coach, basketball legend, Nancy Lieberman. And Nancy Lieberman, you'll say, you know, what was she doing there? They were honoring her for her dedication and her sportsmanship. And it was a big thing. And she came in because she works for the New Orleans Pelicans. And she came into New York for the event and wouldn't miss it for the world and came in. And she was honored as well. And the PR guy did a weird thing. I'm telling it like this because it makes sense. (laughs) When... The first honoree was Gliber Torres. I don't know why the PR guy did this, but he said, Gliber's going to meet with the media in the other room behind the back. 
but the ceremony's still going on. So half the media left. And I, don't under, I, I didn't understand. I was like, why is everybody leaving? Like, they're honoring the rest of the people. Right. So the ceremony's going on, and half the reporters aren't there. That's as, 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 as strange as it is, right? And all the media is interviewing uh, the, the Yankee guy. And Lou Pinella is standing on the side, and I knew Lou for a long time. So I, excuse my, you know, I, I go up to him. I said, excuse me, Lou. I said, I'm doing this podcast. Would you have a few minutes? Let's stand in the other room. So we go in the other room because I'm like, if half the people are gone, it's, it's not attendance mandatory. Right. And Nancy Lieberman gets honored, and I'm not in the room for it. And she says these words. I was supposed to be on the helicopter with Kobe. Ooh. And a hush comes out. So I wrap up the thing with, with Lou Pinella. I turn around. I go back in the room. And three people run over to me. They're like, did you hear that? I go, no. <laughs> what, what did I miss? And, he's, and he says, what is this? Um, and the, the idea was, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we had to find out. So I run up to the PR person. And I said, can I have three minutes with Nancy Lieberman? So he, she comes over to me, and we're just one-on-one for eight, for literally eight minutes. And I go up to her, and here's the story. Saturday night before the crash, Kobe Bryant texted her and said, I have a proposition for you. I want you to talk to Gianna about her game. He says, come to L.A. You'll stay at my house. We'll cook you amazing food. We'll jump in the copter. We'll go to the academy. You'll watch her play, and then you'll work with her, and you can film it for whatever project you want to film it for. And Nancy Lieberman's like, "Wow, what a what an interesting honor! Like, like what a what a thrill that that would be really cool." So she looks at her calendar, and she books it. She books a flight to L.A. for the Wednesday after he died. She missed it by three days. And she says, and when I tell you, I interviewed her and she talks for eight minutes. I didn't say a word. I did not open my mouth for the eight minutes. She just, she was in tears telling this story. She said, God didn't want to take me. She said, I could have easily said Sunday. I, there was no reason I didn't say Sunday it was easier for me to go Wednesday, and so I said, I'll do it Wednesday. And Kobe said, sure, book your flight. I'll make the other arrangements. Crazy story. Mm. I was, it was unbelievable. And I know you know Nancy Lieberman, and I know... I, I, I just I, When I heard it, I thought of you, and all I said was, I couldn't call you. It was late. It was, it was really, I guess it wasn't as late where you are, but right. it was late for me. <laughs> and, and we didn't have a show yesterday and I wanted to tell you this and it was just, she is so unnerved and what she has done is she met Diana Munson and I mean, this didn't happen in front of me, but she said that she is going to connect Vanessa Bryant and Diana Munson. And they, they want Vanessa to 
lean on Diana, and Diana said on the podium, anything she needs. Does she want to talk? Does she want to not talk? Does she want me to show her things that I did? Anything she wants. Like, you're talking about such kind people. Oh, and yeah. I thought, I th- I just thought it gave, the whole thing gave me chills. No, it's an incredible story. Nancy's awesome. Known her since college. Yep. And uh, we used to scrim, you know, when she was, uh, she went through this phase. For those of you who don't know, pioneer in women's basketball, one of the original greats with Ann Myers and the early generations that put women's basketball on the map, Old Dominion national champions back, back in the day. Uh, she, uh, uh, this is before, obviously, women's NBA, women's professional basketball. Of course, uh, but yeah. Those are the, those, but those are the women who made women's basketball like popular and possible. And uh, Nancy's been a pioneer ever since. Uh, she's coached in the men's game in the minors. Uh, you know, been an executive for for NBA teams and uh, uh, just you know all around uh, uh, you know special person. So basketball Hall of Famer and. Uh, uh, we used to actually play one-on-one uh, back in the day when she was, uh, uh, you know, looking to get a tryout for a men's team. Uh, you know, playing in the summer leagues, those kind of things. She and, played in the summer leagues against all the men's teams. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, she, and uh, and it was just what she could do, and she held her own, and she was great, and such a nice lady too. It's mm-hmm. the second time I had had come across her, but I I wasn't planning on interviewing her because I was planning a. A, a baseball-centric podcast, and I had done uh, Lou Pinella and John Franco, and I thought that was a neat, like, Mets-Yankees connection, and I'll post it in a couple weeks on my Sports with Friends podcast, and that was my plan. And when, when my friend Joe comes over and says, you might want to talk to Nancy Lieberman. <laughs> and I said, why? <laughs> and he said, you got to hear this story, and he, no one could re- recite it. And a lot of people thought that she had planned on being on the Sunday flight but what she says is she could have been on the Sunday flight. That's the faded flight that crashed. Right. And she could have been. If she had said, I want to, you know, I can do it tomorrow, he would have let her. Oh, yeah. And for he, sure. she, to- she said that there was a joke and she didn't show us her phone. She said, I don't feel comfortable showing you my phone. But she, sent, she said that Kobe and her texted all Saturday night. And she said that um, he. He jokingly, when he offered to that she could bring a film crew, he said a small film crew because it's not a big helicopter. Right. <laughs> like he was just like he's like, like a you can bring, stick. right? Yeah. Bring whoever you want, but just only one of them. <laughs> you know, right. like don't don't bring six people. You know, for a documentary film, like it was it was something else. It was really an unnerving thing. All right, we're gonna call Nate Mink and find out about the new defensive coordinator for the Syracuse football team in just a second. This is ESPN Syracuse. On Twitch, Q Sports Talk, and on the radio, ESPN 97.7 and 100.1. This is Centers of Attention. All right, back here on ESPN Syracuse. This portion of the program is brought to you by Joe Bowers, Farmers Insurance in North Syracuse. Let's hop on the Burdick Toyota guest line and welcome in our friend Nate Mink, who covers the Syracuse football team. For Syracuse.com and, of course, the Post Standard. Nate, welcome. Thanks for having me. This is this is turning into like a, a weekly or bi-weekly segment again, and it's and it's February. I know, and 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 I I, I like it. And I, just let me know when you get the check. That's all I'm going to say. 
Let me know when that I got happens. my tax information. I got my tax uh, tax documents in the mail. Oh, right, I'm excited good. about that. Well, that's, Nate, it's funny because you're right. You don't get much Syracuse news, uh, football news in the in this time of year, but it's it's very exciting to have something to talk about. So, uh, so you we're ready for the big scoop. One of those off seasons, Danny. One of those off seasons. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. So, so tell me about Tony White, and say what do I like Tony White better than Zach Arnett? I never really didn't like Zach Arnett, but I heard good things. I'm hearing the same things about Tony White. What's the difference between the two? So you can probably just honestly replay our interview from a month or so ago of me talking about Zach Arnett. And then anytime you hear the name Zach Arnett, you know, just think Tony White because we're we're essentially here dealing with a lot of the same themes from from what we were getting with Zach Arnett. You know, this is a guy that uh, grew up uh, or, uh, you know, came up under the Rocky Long uh, defensive principles, the three-three-five defense that Arnett was going to bring here. Uh, White was at San Diego State uh, with Rocky, with Zach. Uh, White actually coached Arnett at New Mexico when Arnett was a player there about, oh, 13, 14 years ago. Uh, and so they, they have very, very similar uh, defensive philosophies. Uh, White, obviously, most recently is coming from Arizona State, where he was the defensive backs coach under Herm Edwards. Uh, that defensive coordinator at Arizona State, who is now the head coach at New Mexico, Danny Gonzalez, is another you know Rocky Long disciple. Uh, so they were running the three three five the last couple of years at Arizona State. That's now coming east to Central New York and. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it really is staying in uh, the family, uh, the three three five family that had a lot of folks excited and optimistic uh, up until Zach Arnett bolted for Mississippi State. But now in white, you have uh, another guy that uh, is bringing that system and and uh, has a little club. bit more that comes from the same club and a, and a and a recruiting pedigree also. That's that's quite impressive also. So, Nate, it's interesting because obviously Coach Babers was committed to playing that style of defense, right, going, uh, you know, for another guy, you know, with the same kind of strategy. And it sounds like one of those things that if we didn't know the first hire, we wouldn't, like, necessarily realize uh, the difference. There's really, you know, no way to, you know, kind of compare the two. The results will be the results, right? But uh, but it sounds like, uh, you know, we got an exciting exciting new defense to check out this year. Yeah, Danny, the only the only subtle difference is Arnett had been a defensive coordinator for, I believe, the last couple seasons at San Diego State. Now, White had gotten promoted to be the defensive coordinator for Arizona State a couple of months ago when Danny Gonzalez left to take that head coaching position at New Mexico. So White was highly thought of by Herm Edwards to run the defense um, going forward. Um, so this will technically be his first year running the thing and installing the thing and calling the shots. Um, so there's a little bit more responsibility uh, than, than what he had been doing previously. But, again, it's, this is a guy that is, has been around this thing for the last decade plus. I mean, he, he is going to be just as extensive in his knowledge of the system as Arnett was. We're talking to Nate Mink here for just a couple more moments here at Syracuse.com, the Post Standard about the new uh, defensive coordinator for the Orange. Um, We criticized both the university and Zach Arnett 
for the way they handled it. He signed an offer sheet, and he was there, and he was ready to go, and now then he just abandoned ship, right? It's not a federal crime, but, you know, it's 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 not even impeachable. Ha, ha, ha. But it, it was still, you know, we thought it was dirty pool of some kind. Is Zach is 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 Tony White doing the same thing to Arizona State? You know, I don't know if I would I would phrase it like that. I mean, I, I guess to answer your question directly, in a, in a way, he, he is. Um, I mean, he had signed a, an agreement with Arizona State to be their their next defensive coordinator, but but he was very upfront and honest with with his bosses at Arizona State about the situation. Um, that Syracuse offered him. Uh, I think in those discussions with, with Herm Edwards, it, it became clear that, that they had uh, the personnel and, and a plan in place to transition rather smoothly from Tony White. You know, they've, not, they've since uh, promoted Antonio Pierce and Marvin Lewis, who are two, you know, really guys that are known for their NFL pedigree. Than their college football pedigree, they're now going to be co-coordinators. So there was there was kind of a natural transition plan uh, ready to, to to be in place there at Arizona State. You know, I I, I don't get the sense that you know <laughs> clearly there was that sort of natural transition phase at Syracuse. I mean, Syracuse obviously conducted a, a, a months long national search for their guy, uh, went through a very very thorough vetting process, settled on Zach Arnett. And uh, then they kind of had the rug pulled out from underneath them, and they had to kind of circle back and double back to some to some previous candidates uh, and and get more recommendations. And that's how I think how they ultimately ended up with with Tony White. So um, a little different, but you know, again, this is, this is kind of the, the nature of the business. I mean, guys are uh, there's there's it's so fluid. I mean, <laughs> shoot, I mean, Michigan State has to find a football coach now, and you know, there's going to be some dominoes that likely fall in with whoever they hire. So this is kind of just uh, kind of an ongoing thing that, that the profession and the industry deals with. And, and it really, again, ultimately boils down to the individual. I mean, Zach Arnett was obviously enticed to, to want to go down south to Mississippi State, you know, just as White was enticed to move 3,000 miles across the country to come to New York, which, you know, again, another factor that played into that decision was his mom lives in Queens. So it was a chance for him to be a lot closer to his mom and, and uh, have her experience some of, the, uh, of that special time with his grand, with her grandchildren and things of that nature. So these are all very multi, multifaceted, layered decisions that these individuals make. And, uh, you know, I think that's really what it ultimately comes down to for a lot of these guys. Well, hopefully he comes in with a chip Please. on his shoulder because now he's got a prove that he's a better choice uh, than than Arnett, even though, of course, we don't know what Arnett would have done. So uh, interesting, interesting uh, dichotomy there as well, right, for, you know, for him coming in, uh, I won't say it's the second choice, but it's the replacement uh, to the first choice. So we'll be looking forward to that. Nate, thank you so much for joining us today, and, uh, and don't be a stranger. We're not going to let you off the hook that easy. Absolutely, guys. Anytime. Call me anytime. All right, buddy. Uh, Nate Mink from the Post Standard in Syracuse.com. We'll take a quick timeout. Uh, we'll get you set for the rest of the show. And by the way, Paula Sibelia is in the news. Did you guys see this? We'll talk I about that and much, that. much more right here on ESPN Syracuse and Q Sports Talk on Twitch. On Twitch, Q Sports Talk. And on the radio, ESPN 97.7 and 100.1. This is Centers of Attention.
Hey, this part of the program is brought to you by Bill Rap Superstore's Rapid Purchase. Enjoy the entire car buying process from your laptop, tablet, or mobile device at BillRap.com. Um, one programming note uh, today from 4 to 6, Brent Axe is not going to be there today. So yours truly and Eric Devendorf are hanging out from 4 to 6 this afternoon here on ESPN Syracuse and uh, Q Sports Talk on Twitch. If you tune into the radio, let's say you are, you know, you heard us on the way to wherever your place of business is, and then you get in your car later on and you're driving home and you're like, wait a minute, it's not a replay. <laughs> it's a totally new show, and we're going to have all new jokes. That's the plan. Wow, I didn't know you had that many jokes. I don't, and I'm working on it. That's what I have to work on between now and uh, 11 o'clock and, 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 and 4. i got to come up with something. So we'll see what we can, uh, we can pull off. Um, one story that just ticks me off to no end, uh, the University of Colorado. I don't know if you guys saw this. Colorado is going to unretire three numbers because new players and new recruits want to wear them. Uh, Byron Wizer White, his number 24, Joe Romig, 67, and Bobby Anderson's number 11 are all going to come out of retirement. They're all going to be worn again. And it's okay because they asked the families. Like, what are the families going to say? The families are going to go say, no, you promised. What are they supposed to do? It's so obnoxious, and it's so wrong, and it's so obliterating history. And anybody who doesn't remember this, this happened about 10 years ago in baseball when Omar Vizquel signed with the White Sox, and he asked Luis Aparicio, can I wear your number? And what's Luis Aparicio going to say? No. And it, retired numbers means retired numbers. I hate it. I, I hate that, it That's why Syracuse retires jerseys and not numbers. So... For that, for that very reason. Hate it. Hate it. Oh, hate it. Um, the other story that I got a big kick out of uh, over the two days that we were not on the air is, is um, you know, the Mets are supposed to be sold. The Mets are supposed to be sold this guy named Steve Cohen, and it's funny because I have an uncle, Steve Cohen. The guy who runs SiriusXM is Steve Cohen. I know another guy from college named Steve Cohen. I know 700 Steve Cohens. Exactly. Another Steve Cohen is a hedge fund billionaire, like multiple billions of dollars. And how he made his money, I don't understand. And God, I live on a different planet than him. But anyway, he was going to buy for $2.6 billion, 80% of the New York Mets. And the Wilpons, who I have said all along are slimier than slimy, um, they wanted a five-year period of transition where the Wilpons would run the team on, for five more years before they give up majority control. And supposedly in the late stages of the negotiation, the Wilpons changed their tune. And Steve Cohen's like, I want to I wanna start doing stuff now. And the thing is, if he got the team, he'd be the richest owner in sports. He'd be richer than any ba basketball owner. He'd be richer than any football owner. He'd be the richest owner in sports, this guy. Wow. 
and it's going to fall through because the Wilpons are slimy little dweebs. God, that's funny. The the Met fan on Twitter was heartbroken. Like you you had took you took their you you told them about Santa Claus right then and there. It was so. Uh, it made me laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh. <laughs> I'm bad. Well, it just goes to show you that 2.6 billion doesn't go as far as it used to. <laughs> well, a lot of it people think lot this of, is just yeah. It used to be a lot of money. It, pe- people think this is posturing. That's the rumor is that it's posturing and that maybe it's still going to happen. But you know what I want? I want the guy to go in and like buy another team and go win the World Series with that team. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Like, what if he just goes and says, you know what, I'm out of there. I'm buying the Colorado Rockies. I mean, they're not for sale, but you you know what I mean. Hypothetically, yeah. (laughs) Hypothetically. like I'm going to buy the Milwaukee Brewers and just go in, sign every free agent. Because the rumor was Mookie Betts was Mookie Betts. They were going to make a big play on Mookie Betts, who just got traded to the Dodgers. That was the rumor, was that they were going to make a big play for Mookie Betts. And they can't do that under the Madoff made uh, Wilpons. No, 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 no. So anyway, uh, Pauly Sebelia, there's a really cool article about Pauly in uh, Syracuse.com in the Post Standard uh, today uh, about fear of flying. It's a, it's a really good article, and you know, we love him, and it's it's a really neat, neat story. Uh, so check that out. But you can also check him out with Etan and Roosevelt. Uh, Roosevelt Bowie, Etan Thomas, and Pauly Sebelia have the second half of Centers of Attention. Don't forget, I'll be on today at 4 o'clock with Eric Devendorf in for Brent. Danny, we'll talk to you tomorrow. And we'll tell some fear of flying stories.